Hello and welcome to the Mindful Coach Podcast. And I'm your host, Brett Hill. I'm a mindful somatic coach and founder of the Mindful Coach Association. I meet a lot of coaches working with the Mindful Coach Association. I'm so inspired by their stories and the courageous work that they're doing that I created this podcast so you can hear them too. If you're aligned with this work, then join us at themindfulcoachassociation.com where you can list your services for absolutely free and receive invitations to community meetings where you can network and meet your colleagues. We hope you'll join us. And now, The Mindful Coach Podcast. So welcome to this episode of The Mindful Coach Podcast. And I'm really excited to have with me a special guest, Dr. Kevin Gazzara. Let me introduce Kevin a little bit before we get into some of the amazing stuff that he's been working with and how he's helping people, you know, really move powerfully into their lives in a more full way. Dr. Kevin Gazzara is an ICF certified coach, certified in positive intelligence and excuse me, positive intelligence, mental fitness. He taught management and leadership development in the corporate world during his 18 years at Intel Corporation and also as a university professor for over 25 years. Today, he's a senior partner at Magna Leadership Solutions and the co-author of the book, The Leader of Oz, with a background in engineering and business, which is, you know, kind of my background, so we intersect there as well. His passion is in helping individuals find the leader that was that is within us all. And as a recovering hyperachiever and hyperrational technologist, the mindfulness portion of personal development never really clicked for him. He has a, a, a section in his bio where he says, you know, sitting out and just looking at the mountains and like trying to do the standard meditational, mindful meditation practices that just didn't work. And what he did find that did work was using the positive intelligence approach with uh, two-minute repetitions that happen at prompted by the PQ app smartphone. The PQ is the abbreviations for um, positive intelligence. And this was really an immense breakthrough and helped him a lot in terms of developing his positive intelligence mental muscle to help clear and calm his mind just when he needed it, just when he needed it. And now he's on a mission to help others achieve the same sort of amazing results. How does that does that summarize it well, you think, Kevin? I'm going to hire you as my marketing and uh, <laughs> introductory coach for when I do my speaking. There we go. That's great. Uh, well, thank you so much for joining us. I can't wait to hear about your journey. As as someone who I sometimes call myself a technologist, and I am, I understand a lot of technology. I used to teach it from Microsoft on stages all over the world. And um, I just really love and approach to mindfulness and the, from the science point of view uh, of helping us, um, you know, basically learn how to manage our nervous systems. I, I tell people sometimes it's like, well, I, I love technology because I like to know how things work. So why wouldn't I turn that same kind of curiosity to my own, you know, inner architecture, so to speak? Uh, so tell us a little bit about your journey and, and how you you wound up becoming an expert on, um, you know, positive intelligence. Well, I'm not sure I'd say I am an expert. I would say I'm certainly, uh, I found it incredibly valuable for myself as well as for all the people I do, um, uh, do coaching for, uh, mostly executives. Uh, and I think the thing I would say, Brett, that really connected for me was, as you had mentioned, you know, I've come out of the uh, the bits and bytes environment, right? So numbers, right. high rationality, you know, I'm a, the kind of hyper rational, if you want to 
talk about everything. Hyper everything rational. Can, everything can be turned into uh, into into numbers. And you know, the thing that that we you learn as you go through your your personal journeys, whether it's uh, in technology or outside of technology, is that uh, that you know people like to do business with people first, and it's and you have to make mm -hmm. that emotional connection before you could make that uh, rational connection. And I think as, you know, uh, what I call, my friends call me a recovering engineer, you know, I moved from, you know, doing the technical stuff when I was at Intel to ultimately moving into managing Intel University. And then for the last six years before I retired in 2007, uh, I was, um, I managed Intel's management and leadership development, residential programs for first and midline uh, managers uh, for the world. And we used to do 2,500 managers and leaders wow. in 10 different countries. Uh, and when I retired from Intel in June of 07, uh, we had just finished training our 40,000th manager. So I got Jeez. pretty good at that. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I, learned, I learned quite a bit. Um, I took two of my colleagues with me in, in 2007 and we had a personal, I had a personal vision and goal uh, to retire at 50, uh, and then go help other organizations, you know, that didn't have $10 million budgets, uh, help them develop their managers. And that's what we've been doing for the last 16 years, our best year ever last year. And this year is congratulations. congratulations. Yeah, sure. So I, I think more important than, you know, for me, best year ever means getting the ability to help other managers, yes. um, leaders really kind of discover what they have. Uh, and there's a real advantage to organizations that if, uh, because if you look at the statistics, once again, here we go into the numbers, uh, <laughs> if you look at the statistics, you know, people, people leave managers and leaders. They don't really leave organizations. Sometimes they do. Uh, if you yes. have a great manager, and I'm sure you've had some and people listening also have had great managers. If you really think about organizations, if you've worked in a high performing team, someone that's really a, you know, everything is clicking and you just can't wait to get into work, that making a decision to leave that is really difficult. Uh, mm -hmm. On the converse, if you have a manager that's just dreadful, uh, and the good news is at Intel, I tell people I had 10, uh, 10 managers and leaders over the 18 years I was there. I had eight managers and leaders that were incredible. And then I had two other ones that I learned so much from. Mm -hmm. So a uh, nice way to kind of put that. Uh, and I think you learn as much from the bad <laughs> managers as you do uh, from the, from the good managers. Fortunately, it was a it was a really good eighty percent, you know, great ones to twenty percent that were less. Than, yeah, that, that, uh, less that's a great. lot. That's yeah. great. I wish I'd had that kind of a ratio. I I didn't encounter so many great managers. So I'd love to talk to you about um, this uh, within technology companies. There's the uh, sort of, at least in, I've worked for two big technology companies. So, and then I also taught a lot in them. I was hired, but, but I actually worked as an employee in two large ones. Um, that doesn't mean, and I'm saying that to know that I only know those two, but mm -hmm. from what I gather, um, things are similar kind of in a lot of other organizations. And one of the things that happens in these organizations is that they get people, they hire technical people who turn out to be pretty good at what they do. And they're not terrible at, you know, group meetings and that kinds of things. And they wind up getting promoted to like a team 
a project leader, and then they wind up getting promoted to a people leader. But that's not necessarily their strength. They actually are good with code or good with projects and, and you know, uh, timelines and evaluating and prioritizing, but they don't necessarily have the interpersonal skills, but what they wind up getting in jobs where they need those skills. Are those the kind of people that you wound up working with? And if so, like what, what were the things that really helped them the most? Well, those are exactly the people that we work with. You know, uh, when we say the people we work with, you know, from a coaching perspective, or consulting perspective is we typically work with um, technical experts who happen to be managers uh, mm-hmm. and are having some challenges kind of delivering and uh, delivering the hard messages to the team and, and holding people accountable. You know, as you've pointed oh. out, you, you get really good at, at something, you're great at writing code or designing boards or whatever, and you do that for a really long time. And of course, you're interacting with different people. And at some point in time, you know, the manager comes in and says, hey, Bill, you're, uh, you've done a really great job for the last 20 years here. Here's a team. Just go, go and fix them. It's, it's like you, if, you can write, if you can write code and design boards, I mean, how hard can it be? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, as it turns out, it could be kind of hard. <laughs> yeah. And I think from an engineering perspective, Brett, you know, the, the, you know, the thing that's really awesome about science in particular is, you know, it's a, it's generally zeros and ones, right? It's, it's, it's mm. black and white. There's some gray areas. Uh, the human world, when you're managing and leading is, is all all gray, right? Everything's gray. So there's not a lot of black and white. You can get it closer to black or closer to white. Uh, you pretty much live in the in the gray space. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, what I have found is a lot of my, you know, colleagues uh, really like to live in the zeros and one space in the black and white. And, well, there's a lot of certainty in that world, yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah. So they, you know, so so moving from the, the black and white space to the gray space, is, is often very, very difficult because humans are complex. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, there's lots of variables going on simultaneously. So it's hard to isolate one variable or another. Uh, and the tendency is, is that, you know, and there's I saw some just some research just recently that's basically says, you know, about, you know, are leaders born or made? Uh, and uh, typically they find that, that, you know, uh, great leaders, 30% really comes from nature kind of they're born with some abilities that some pre-wiring that happens up here uh and and the rest the other 70 percent is something that can can be learned and of course the amazing leaders are ones that start off with the 30 and then really make it their passion to really do the work for the other 70. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah I, I i totally align with what you're saying there it's- yeah. Um, so what would you say is like you, you take the you take a, a, somebody who's like finds themselves in a management role and they haven't done this before and they're kind of awkward with people. What, what how would you help that person kind of get these that 70 percent skill set? You know, what's that look like? I mean, you know, obviously that's your work, but it's like, you know, what's the, the, the you know, top of mind bullet points for what's that look like in terms of an engagement? Yeah, and, and I want to make sure I'm giving the people that are listening some really very, very practical tips. You know, so we have a program called our Leading Forward Academy. We kind of bring all of this stuff together. I want to make sure I'm giving them practical tips that they could actually just go out and use other than kind of Kevin talking about his just his life experience. So 
I think the first thing that we've learned also from research, you know, so we like things that are quantitative is that if, and we did a research study years and years ago with regard to what are the biggest challenges for leaders. Um, and, uh, and the number one challenges, number one challenge that shows up over and over, and it's not just our research, but many other people's research is communication, getting better at communicating with individuals is really, if, if you can only pick one thing, you know, it's like the mm -hmm. city slickers, the curly's gold, right? I can do one thing. If you, if, if you really want to become a better leader, uh, you can do, you become better at communicating. And, and here's, here's our tips for you about how to do that. Cause well, people will say that, oh, you have to get better at communicating. Uh, give me something very tangible that I yes, can know exactly. whether I'm making progress. So, so I'll give you one of our kind of our inside tools that, that, that we've developed and used that will make your communication significantly better overnight. Like by, wow. if, you, if you use this, I can guarantee you that your communication will be uh, received better uh, and you're going to cause lots and lots of less of the back and forth that you typically have. You know, and what we found was that many managers um, really in their head have their idea of what they have to do. So they'll come to you and say, hey, need this project design done by Friday, ready to go. Right. And then they turn. Mm -hmm. to and, and the problem with that is that it's mi missing. In fact, we did our research found and we did this for about twelve hundred leaders. And what we found was that the best leaders have three elements in their communication. And as the elements start dropping off, uh, they are rated uh, lower and lower and lower on the leadership scale. Uh, and the first, the first element of the three elements for communication are um, the first element is is that they they provide a quantity uh, in their communication. Uh, quantity. A quantity, right? That they have uh -huh. a quantity of how much you know finish the project. Like, what's the project? Okay, well, I need the front end of the project that's, you know, working on the CPU fully functional uh, uh, by, fr by Friday, right? So it's very, very specific on the quantity. The second thing is that they include the best leaders is they include a quality element or elements. It might be more than one variable. Uh, and so talking about, you know, design and so forth, it might be as operating with zero level one bugs uh, so forth. So we have an mm -hmm. idea. It may be operating, but if it's crashing every two minutes, uh, that's that fails the quality element. And then, and then the third thing that they do, and quite often the quality element may have more than one variable. It might be bugs, sure. and you know, it doesn't overheat or or, or something like that. Uh, so, so the manager needs to communicate that. And then here's the third element, and this is the one that we have found of the three is the one that's the most missing. Um, and the third element is pace. So you have quantity, quality, and pace. And pace is not time, right? Our tendency is give me, give me the, I need to have the functional uh, chip d done on Friday, the first portion of it, zero level one bugs by Friday. Okay. <clears throat> what, what, what the best leaders do is they have a discussion with the designer, the engineer. It doesn't have to be an engineer. It could be an HR person purchasing. Uh, sure, it could be lots of it could be lots of things, and I hope you know listeners know that. Yeah, this could be a lot. This could be true for a lot of different kinds of discussions besides technical discussions. Right, Wh whatever it is, and, and they they put a pace in there, and and the idea of, of putting a pace in there is so it's Monday. I'm telling you, I need this by Friday. <clears throat> is to put 
to figure out what kind of milestones I can build in there so that you can do a check-in with the individual where you're being there as a resource rather than micromanaging them. The tendency is, you know, do the project by Friday, you know, and every three or four hours and check it in like, Bob, how are you doing with this, right? So it feels like micromanagement. So getting kind of an understanding of, of what's going to happen so we can run the first test on Wednesday to give us an idea mm -hmm. whether we're going to be there. And then Thursday, we can run the final test and then we can cycle it for 24 hours to make sure that it's, that it's working. And the key is, is, is if you put the milestones in there, so first test on Wednesday, uh, second test for uh, temperature on, on Thursday, and then final delivery on, on Friday. If you can move that in, then the person knows when you're going to check in with them. And the check-in is, is to not beat them, you know, or you're on track. It's, it's do you have everything necessary to meet the other milestones? Mm -hmm. And when you establish the milestones, what you want to make sure is that the, we always kind of back it out of like doing this design. If I had, if we had an emergency, how long would it take you in, in order to, to do this? If I just locked you in a room with your team to do that, they might say, oh, yeah, this is about an eight hour project to get this done. Of course, we've got lots of other stuff that's going on during the week. So you want to make sure that the, the last milestone before the deliverable, like if everything crashes and burns, because I have that Thursday piece in there, mm -hmm. that if I can pull the team off, that I've given them enough time to make them successful. And typically, yeah. we, don't, typically we don't do that, right? What happens is, is you get there Friday and, and you think you're going to be close and it doesn't work. And then schedules Monday and next Tuesday and you mm -hmm. miss the deadlines and everything else. So quantity, quality, and pace. Um, those are our three tips from the, the one of the first workshops we do on our leadership academy, which is called communicating and coaching with purpose. And so what's the, what's the, the human connection overlay on that? So it's like, that's a, a beautiful run out in terms of how to communicate expectations and setting a framework where someone understands what's what they're being asked to do. And I, I'm a big fan of clarity in these kinds of communications. And I love it when people set expectations for me and uh, hold me accountable to that. And at the same time, um, you know, I try to do that with other people uh, as well as I can. Um, it's not my specialty. But, um, but what, so, so, you know, what about the, the, you know, like I mentioned before, like the, the new project comes in and you're, you're communicating all that, but what about the actual relationship in, in the room? Yeah. The, the, the tool that I just gave you is making the assumption that you've done the investments up front to develop the relationships with the individuals. One. So as you're doing the communication, one, it's accepted. And two, if there's, you know, the one thing I always like to, to close all my communications with is, is that a reasonable request? I need this by, mm -hmm. you know, this quantity, quality, pace by Friday. Is that a reasonable request? And you have to have that relationship there in order for people to say, yeah, that's a reasonable request if I didn't have these other two projects that you're going to hold me accountable for on Friday, right? You want, them yeah. to bring, you want them to bring that up. So you have to have the relationship piece in there. And we use a model that is, we extracted out of uh, some work that was done uh, at Harvard you know, or uh, for our leadership model, which is the best leaders, and this goes to your point about the relationships, really, the first thing you have to do is you have to understand yourself, then you understand others, and then you initiate and sustain change, right? And the tendency 
is to focus on the third, right? So what changes mm -hmm. do I have to make? You know, what do I have to keep it going? You know, how do I have to get, have that hammer, you know, carrot and stick type, type of approach. And the, the, usually what we find is that when leaders will get a lot of people that'll say, Hey, I need you to come in and work with my team because they're not performing or we're getting high turnover, what, whatever it is. And you need to fix the, the managers that we have. And then we'll say, okay, so, you know, are you going to be involved? Like, oh, no, no, we're not the problem. You know, it's our managers are the problem. That's the first red flag. Yeah, hey, right. Maybe there's <laughs> the self-awareness is, is missing. So, the managers that you hired, by the way. <laughs> right, right. And, then, and you're leading and you're managing and you're right. demonstrating your behaviors. All of them are doing problematic behaviors. We think that there's probably a good, good possibility that you might not be role modeling the kind of behaviors that we want. So, so getting, getting them to have that self-awareness is, is really where you start. And, and we use, there's lots of different assessments that you use. We work a lot with target training international. We do disc and values and driving forces and emotional intelligence. And, and there's lots of other assessments that are out there, uh, validated assessments that work really well, but it's really to get people to understand What's their style, communication? What do they need to do differently? Uh, you know, where are their values? What's driving them, keeping them motivated? Uh, and if you can start there, which is the kind of the self-awareness piece, then you can move to the second step, which is kind of communicating and understanding others uh, with that. And one of the things of like how this relates to positive intelligence, one of the things that we've adopted, I got certified to um facilitate positive intelligence about two, a little over two and a half years ago or so. And one of the things that we started doing for all of the coaching that we do with, with the executives or even first up down to first line managers is that we start with the, um, the focus on uh, understanding yourself, right? Know thyself, which is, uh, is using positive intelligence, which is really based, is built on the foundation of emotional intelligence, the work that was done by Daniel Goleman. Um, mm -hmm. and, and it's getting a deeper understanding of your what your five sage powers are and your 10 saboteurs. And we can talk a little bit about those as well. And, and what we found, Brett, was that if you if you spend an, enough time up front, you know, we have a, a six week program uh, that we go through uh, remotely, we do it on, on Zoom, it's not in person with small, what they call pods, you're usually four, mm -hmm. to six, four to six managers. And we really do a deep dive into the positive intelligence. Once people um, kind of understand, you know, their saboteurs, the things that are holding them back and their their sage powers of things that can move them forward. Um, one, we get two, two advantages out of it. One, you get a common language, which is mm -hmm. awesome uh, when you do a coaching uh, engagement. And the second thing is, it gives the individuals tools for self-diagnosis. So rather than going to a coaching session and people just saying, hey, here's the challenge. And then as a coach just working through that, typically now what they do is they come to the session, they say, here's the challenge. And by the way, here's the two saboteurs that are playing with me. And I'd like to have a kind of a discussion and talk through how do I keep those saboteurs at bay? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, yeah. And, and, and it makes a better makes for a better coaching uh, engagement for me for the for the individual and generally we make significantly more progress so yeah um, so that's we, go ahead yeah, please I was gonna say would you like me to kind of talk you through 
what the saboteurs are. Sure. Well, how many are there? Well, there's 10 of them. I'm not going to give you details on all of them because it'll okay. take too long. <laughs> yeah, sure. Give yeah, us so, so if we if we look at saboteurs, so there's this major saboteur, which Shirzad Shamin, who wrote, wrote the book, uh, Positive Intelligence, highly recommend it. Easy read, whether you read it or get it on Audible. Just do it. Uh, it's it's really life changing. It was it was for me and for yeah. many many of the people I've I've worked with in coaching. Is you have this major sab this kind of this uh, superior kind of saboteur, the overarching saboteur, which is called the judge. It's taking all of the input from the individual saboteurs. Um, and uh, at the end of the session, I'll give you a link where everybody can go and get a quick start guide for. For, for so what us. does the judge sound like if you if you have a judge in your head what does that sound like to somebody the, the, ju uh, the judge sounds like is man you're never getting through this project you know mm. you're way in over your head you shouldn't be man mm. managing people yeah so it's right. like an Go imposter syndrome so yeah mm. yes right so it takes all that information and there and the nine uh, what they call accomplished saboteurs uh, are the controller Right. And I think most of the names are, are self-explanatory. You have the controller, you have the hyperachiever, like that there's there's always more, Get it and, more done. and more and more and more. You and can't more relax. You can yeah, right. right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and you have the restless people. Not only are they thinking about what they're 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 not doing of what they can be doing, right? So you have the you have the restless, then you have the stickler, which I find shows up a lot in people that come out of the technical <laughs> field. It's like, I have to get that last millionth of a percentage point yes, out of exactly, the efficiency. Right. So you got the stickler. Um, you have the pleaser saboteur, which mm -hmm. is, these are people, you know, that basically don't want to make waves and kind of avoid, you right, know, right. just keep things off. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, I call those people so, flatteners, but I, that's a, it's another language for the same thing. That's that beautiful. one I, I have that one I haven't heard. You know, so it's it's and it's and it's and it's not really so much avoiding as as it is just it is pleasing them. Like, okay, if you want to yeah. try it that way, oh, you know, I see, work, right, right, right. You right, just right. Let, yeah, I'm not sure that you're the expert. Well, you can, yeah, you can right, exactly, right. Yeah. And then and then you have the hyper vigilant. The hyper vigilant is mm -hmm. the, is your you have that hyper vigilance. I'm working with a guy right now that his hyper vigilant is like at a 10 out of 10, you know, wow. that he can't sleep at night and constantly yeah. thinking. And this is never worst case work. scenario sort of people, <laughs> right? It's kind of like that. Uh, I know what you mean. It's like, yeah, this. think about stuff that you can't control and, <laughs> and worry about it, it. Yeah. <laughs> and worry about it. Yeah. And then the all last, the time, <laughs> yeah, the last, the last three saboteurs are the avoider, which is basically, you know, the ostrich, you just like, you know, just hope that it's going to go away and, and hope is not a strategy. You have the victim. Right? <laughs> oh, <not> a strategy. <laughs> you have the ostrich, right? You have the victim, which is, is, you know, hey, you know, right. I, I, they're doing this to me. It's, I am not mm -hmm. contributing to this. And then the last one, which is, uh, is one of my strong saboteurs, which is the hyper rational. And it kind of goes mm -hmm. back to where we started as the tendency prior to me you know, learning and embracing positive intelligence as an engineer, I always wanted to start with bits and bites and numbers. Mm -hmm. And what you what you find is, is I can't get to the, the rational brain until I get the emotional brain walls to come down. So I have to make and as you started out so well in today's session is is you have to make that connection, you have yes. to develop that relationship, you have to do that. And that allows the the emotional brain to come down, the walls to come down. Now I can get the hyper rational. And what we have a tendency 
particularly us scientific types, is to, to try to figure out how do we scale that wall? Like we're not going to bother. We just like, right, use all our right. energy to get over, and the people don't want you inside. Once they once the wall comes <laughs> right. down, now they want you inside. Okay, now I'm ready. I'm yeah, ready yeah, yeah. Now there's a flow. There's a you have the opportunity to kind of flow. I I like that uh, analogy, that metaphor, because it's uh, in uh, the the methods that I trained in Hakomi. There's a is is based on the notion that people's defenses. So all these saboteurs, if I'm going to just frame it a little bit in a different, slightly different way, they're all serving you in some way, right? They're all doing some protection. They're all helping you make sense of your world in some way. And so in, in the Hakomi framework um, of um, somatic psychotherapy, you support the resistance. And so it's sort of like a, using a crutch in a way so that the person doesn't have to lean on their bad leg with all of their strength. You help give them a crutch, and that gives them the opportunity to explore what's it like to be a little more mobile, and they don't have to use all the energy themselves. And so in a certain and what this means is like um, when this is done well in a session, it's exactly like that. The wall comes down, and there's so much power in that because – that's something that you can do yourself once you learn how to do it. You can just right. self, learn to learn to self-regulate, co-regulate your system. Notice when you walk in, you're giving an assignment to somebody, you're giving a project to somebody, you're doing all the communication, and you notice they're freaking out internally. You know, they're not saying, Oh, I can't do this, but you notice it. And so you have the opportunity then to say, Well, I is this clear? Do you understand? Yeah, yeah, I got it. I think this is okay. Everything's going to be fine. And you can tell there's not everything's going to be fine. <laughs> right. And you have enough presence to go, so how are you feeling about this, right? And open up the, the relational context. That's something I'm, you know, I, I want to be sure is underscored in all of my conversations with, with, with these kinds of things. And it's not like you're wandering around trying to like make everybody your best friend, but you want to be available to support people and to support people as human beings in these contexts, because that's what we are. Yeah, you, ha you have to be approachable. And, you know, Shirzad, uh, in his book, The Positive Intelligence, and through the, the certification program, he uses a metaphor that I really love about the saboteurs. And he talks about the saboteurs uh, as putting your hand on the hot stove. You, mm -hmm. you, want, you want to be able to recognize as you're getting your hand close to the stove that it's hot, you need to pull back, right? So you, right. you don't want to get right. rid of your saboteurs, right? Because they're kind of the early warning system for you. Our tendency is that we want to fight with the saboteurs. It's like we want to like we want to be convinced that no, it's really not as hot, and I can keep it on there longer. And and the key is is what he says is you need to bring in your sage powers and the and the five yeah. sage powers to kind of help you combat that is uh, empathize, explore, innovate, navigate, and activate. And each one of yeah. those has a different function, like the empathize. Right, and that's like executive brain function right there. Those are the executive brain functions. Right, right. Yeah, and if you and if you can really turn on your sage brain so that you it allows you to look at it as an opportunity rather than as a threat, uh, generally you can get out, you can get, um, you know, you can get a whole lot better results from that. Yeah, and I think the challenge for a lot of people is that they haven't learned to the beauty of having the names for these kinds of um, 
in another world be calling cell individual selves like interfamily systems and recreation of the self. This we call these these saboteurs as uh, individual identities in a way, and like these parts of us. And so when they show up, the, the difficulty is without this kind of a training, without this kind of a sit down and no peering inside and going, oh, this is the way I'm doing. This is the way I'm organized and structured around these kinds of experiences. And if you look at it as from a from a operating system point of view and say, this is just a sequence of neurons that fires when I'm giving these kinds of stimuluses. I get somebody comes in and starts to challenge me. The neural network that gets activated is run away and feel victimized. That's mm -hmm. just a neural network that gets activated. It's right. not who I am. And that's the distinction is that most people, a lot of people, I should say, they get confused about these saboteurs and that becomes their identity. Yeah. They think they are that. Uh, and what you're advocating for, I, if I'm hearing you right, is actually, um, you know, another level of, no, that's not who I am. That's just something in me that's going on. And I think you mentioned something very, very important for the listeners here is, is that we have these neural networks that are built into our brains. And the more that we do that, the more we become any, that we listen to the saboteurs, the victim or the pleaser or the stickler, whatever, whatever it is, is the more we reinforce that network. And, and yep. what Shazad has done, he uses the same terms that you do as an operating system by doing these, um, what he calls two minute PQ reps, positive intelligence reps, uh, that you that you build in, it's uh, you get an app, an app that runs on your phone. You can't activate the app unless you're in the in the program. So mm -hmm. anybody could go and, and download it, but you won't be able to access it. And what it does is it gives you a focus for the day. Uh, it sends you reminders. Uh, you set the kind of the timing. Usually every about three hours or so, and it just says take a break, <clears throat> and it gives you opportunities to do some mindfulness or meditation type of things in two minute minute bursts and what they found is yeah if you are consistent with this what happens is is it starts building uh it starts weakening the saboteur neural network that you've established and it starts building new neural networks in in your brain and by doing it consistently that's the key is you have to have the consistently yeah mm -hmm. uh, that you you can see the the differential uh, and, then, and so, the, but and in your bio, you said this this app really made a difference for you. Yeah, I was I was very much the the very very skeptical, right? Uh, you know, I tried a lot of the the formal meditation thing. You know, my my roommate in college was heavy in the meditation, and each morning he'd wake up and sit in the lotus position and hum his mantras. And you know, I'm always interested. He was an engineer guy as well, and um, uh, and it just never clicked for me. Uh, and then what happened was, is once I started kind of getting that understanding, it's like, okay, I, now I can see how that works. Um, and by doing the, uh, having enough of the reps, you know, that it doesn't happen over overnight. Uh, and it's like anything like building a habit, right? That right, exactly. many, usually, I don't know, whatever it is, 600 repetitions or three weeks or just doing it over and over. Um, what I noticed that there was a difference. And, and here's how I knew that it was working, right? Because it doesn't happen just like one day. Mm -hmm. it, it, it start, you start seeing a difference and you have to kind of, you know, stay, stay with the process. The way I knew it was working is I typically do it first thing in the morning when I go out for a walk. Um, you know, I would I'd do some uh, positive intelligence reps. 
Uh, there's a whole, there's a gym built in there. So you can pick the kind of reps that you want to do, whether it's visualization mm -hmm. or breathing or, or whatever, do the thing that works, works for you. And what I noticed was um, beforehand, I would come back from my walk, feel great about the walk, um, but I didn't have any great ideas. Uh, and I started doing this. And what I noticed is almost every single work that walk that I came back from, you know, not thinking about, oh, I need a great idea that something I, it, I something would connect. I'd see a tree or a dog or or people inter interacting and it would trigger something. And what I noticed was when I didn't do that in the morning or I didn't do the reps and I just went out just for the walk and I'm trying in my brain, trying to figure out all these solutions, the problems of stuff that I have to deal with through the day. It just, it just felt uh, very, very arduous, right? And then when I said, okay, let's stop thinking about that. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, what I would notice is I'd come up with really great ideas and I'd either write them down or as soon as I got back to the house, I'd, I'd make a note and I've got a whole gigantic list here. So this practice helped you, helped you open up your creativity then? Absolutely. Well, and and it's not forced creativity. It's it's stuff. stuff yeah, that no, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it sounded like it was about. emergent. You know, yeah, just kind of coming to you. These things were just coming to you. Yes, right. Uh, you know, and, and if I think back, particularly, I go back to my. You know, uh, I talked about I did a lot of this research when I was working on my doctoral dissertation twenty years ago. Is I was really having a hard time coming up with a, an idea, and what I noticed was that. <clears throat> when I was in the shower or taking a bath or very, very re in an environment, very, very relaxed where everything is cut off. Those are my best ideas came from. And, mm -hmm. and when I came up with my whole uh, dissertation topic, it happened in the shower. Like, and I wasn't thinking about anything. Everything was relaxed. Everything was kind of put on hold and voila, it showed up. So I thought, man, if you could get a system that <laughs> generate that over and over and over again, that would, that would be, that would be awesome. So, uh, so that's really what the PQ system does. And, um, and, and it's much more, you know, as an engineer, we love things that are correlational. Like if mm -hmm. I do two hours of this, I get two hours of advantage, right? That's what we love. We love the cause and effect relationships. And what you have to do is you have to embrace the, embrace the idea of the correlational relationship. If I invest this amount of time, at some point in time, you have to have faith and trust in the process that these type of things like I'm describing with the great ideas are going to start coming to you. But you can only do that uh, very much like developing relationships as a manager. You can only do that if you put the time in up front. If you put the work in. Yep. And, and, and if, you're, if, you want, if you're a correlational mind um, or if you're a causational mind, like two hours gets me two hours of this, uh, this is not going to work. If, you, if you're correlationally realizing that if I put this in at some point in time, that's going to happen. I'm going to see the fruits of my labor. And it's like going to the gym, right? You're not going to be able to lift 200 or 300 pounds, whatever, instantaneously. But you can, you can see so, some reps. Eventually, you're going to be able to go and, and compete uh, with uh, whatever you want to compete in. Yeah. And so, and that, uh, that's such a powerful, um, a powerful idea. And the, the thing to keep in mind is, you know, we are 
holistic systems in the sense that you you develop this capacity, you work on this in some ways, and and you will get a benefit. Like creativity will emerge, or something will happen to you. You'll be more you'll be more calm, you'll be more present, you'll be more clear, you'll be more capable of of expressing your needs, drawing boundaries, and asserting yourself, and letting other people assert themselves, and not taking it personally. So many things happen as a result of these things that are very difficult to describe to people. Sometimes in the mindfulness world, we talk about the problem of trying to get people involved with mindfulness when what they want is some kind of an outcome. You know, they want like, I want specifically, uh, I want a, I, I want a technique that's going to help me be calmer. And yeah, there's stuff in there that will do that and that will help. But what you get out the other side is so much more than that. And so it's like the guy who goes to the gym, like you said, and starts to lift weights and you start to become a great weightlifter and maybe you can compete. But you get another benefit. You get to walk around the world experiencing yourself in a strong physical body. Mm-hmm. And right. that changes your relationship to the world. And so it's not just do I get to be a better communicator, but I get that every conversation. This is one of my things in my own training that every conversation in your life improves. What does that do for your life? It's a big mm-hmm. deal. Yeah, lots and lots of residuals. So, uh, so, so if people want to get started with this, let me give you a quick URL, and you can probably put yeah, it in absolutely. The um, that if they want, we, we created a quick start guide. You can take the. Uh, the positive intelligence assessment that'll tell you um, wh- what saboteurs you have and what uh, Shirzad, Kim- Shirzad Shamin actually d- did this. Our quick start guide will help you kind of navigate how the steps to be able to go and find it and, and do it. So if you go to um, pqtrainingandcoaching.com, uh, you'll get a little bit of pop-up. If you put your name in there, you'll get the, the free uh, assessment. Uh, you'll, you'll get the links for the assessment. And it'll and you get two of them. The first assessment is will give you your saboteur strengths, so you'll be able to find out, like me, whether I have a saboteur hyperrational saboteur at an eight or whether it's a two. Uh, and the second thing is uh, there's a second assessment, and each of them are probably five minutes or so, so they're really quick to take. The second sure. assessment will will identify the strength of your positive intelligence brain. And one of the things that we do know is. There, you need a three to one ratio of, mm-hmm. of sage brain to saboteur brain in order to kind of stay in this in the moment and and be able to function at a, at a very very high level. Um, most people kind of come in in the forty to fifty range to to start, um, and then what I typically do is when people go through our six week program, you you do a pre pre assessment, and then after the six weeks you you take the same assessment. And I'd say 90 to 100% of the people um, make it uh, an advancement towards uh, becoming more of the more like a 75 25 instead of a 50 50. That's great. So we'll be sure to link to that in the show notes and uh, so people can find it right away. And I really appreciate having you on the show today to talk about your journey and all this great stuff around how to help people become better communicators and more whole and integrated individuals and have better lives and open up their, their not only their communication, but their creative worlds as well. So it's been a ton of fun. Um, and, and so thank you for, for joining us today. My pleasure. And I would, the last closing note I would say to everyone is, is, you know, leadership is a, uh, is not a spectator sport. Uh, yeah. Go out and try some of these. 
you know, uh, uh, tips that we've given you um, and and see how they work. Um, and I think you're going to find instantaneously, you're going to find an advantage where your staff will appreciate it. And and sometimes you can even use the quantity, quality and pace with your boss. Mm, beautiful. And if you're aligned with what we're doing here on the Mindful Coach podcast, you can check out the Mindful Coach Association. You can have a free membership there. We meet every week. And uh, you can meet um, fabulous coaches who are doing courageous work like the amazing Dr. Kevin Gazzara. And so uh, you'll be be in in great company there. And we hope to see you there. So thank you all for joining us. And that's a wrap for this edition. Thank you. And that's a wrap for this edition of the Mindful Coach Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this presentation. And if you did, follow us and leave us a review. If you're a coach or helping professional that values mindfulness in your work, browse over to mindfulcoachassociation.com and create a free community profile describing your services so the world can find you. And you'll be invited to exclusive community meetings where you can meet your colleague. I'm your host, Brett Hill, founder of the Mindful Coach Association, coach and coach trainer teaching the Mindful Coach Method. You can find out more about me at themindfulcoach.com. Until next time, stay present.